Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoon. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, are you ready? Episode 189 with Yuma Hydra. She's insanely awesome. You're going to die when you learn her story. In fact, I do research on the people that I have these incredible conversations with, but oftentimes (laughs) what you can't find are some of the things that come out in our conversations, and today was one of them. Her story is deep and profound, and she has overcome a lot to really be the thing that she was actually not shown much as a child, which is love. So get ready. Um, More on Yuma in a second here. I want to actually ask you to get over to NicoleDeBoom.com and sign up for my newsletter. Or you can go to Instagram. I've got one of those Linktree accounts, you know, instead of like link in bio and then it changes every day. Now you can like have this little free Linktree account and have like a hundred links. So um, you can also sign up for my newsletter on Instagram. And the reason you should sign up for my newsletter is because I have been feeling ridiculously called to share all kinds of stuff in sort of like an email blog format. I don't know. I just sit down and these stories start coming out and they are usually pretty dumb and often about various small and sometimes large failures that somehow show me a lesson along the way. And Every time I sit down to write one, I feel like I am writing to you, you being the person listening to my podcast, um, the, the women and some men out there who I've been connecting with for years, and I'm just in this mode of needing to share. And my latest newsletter was both hilarious and um, a disaster. The hilarious part is that I shared about how I fell off a chairlift, but really I wasn't like dangling 100 feet in the air. I actually fell getting off a chairlift, which is something that generally only ridiculous newbies do. And the point was that I am a newbie, in this mountain winter life where skiing is a thing. You're on these two slippery things on the bottom of your boots, and it is not a motion that I grew up with or know well. So I'm learning it as we go. And when you are a beginner, there's just so much beauty in that process. But it's so freaking scary because of the what ifs. What if I fall getting off the chairlift? Like, what if I do something really embarrassing and everybody sees it and laughs, which happens all the time. And my point in this newsletter, since you're not going to get it because it was an old newsletter, but you will get the next one and oh my gosh, the thoughts are brewing, um, is that nobody cares. Nobody cares except you. So get out there and do the things that are scary, even if you're new. And you know what I have found? I love being new. New is fun. And what's really cool is that I just came off of a 15-year career where I wasn't new anymore. And I'm feeling some really cool and fun energy on the flip side. 
Um, and what it's also reminding me of is the fact that Yuma, who you're going to hear about here in just a minute, is also new right now. So, you know, she's just got, she's a really cool person. So I came across Yuma when she was a skirt sports ambassador. I think I first saw a photo of her like smiling her brains out crossing a finish line. I was like, oh my God, that person has this the most like tangible energy. It was just like coming out of the photo. And then I dug around on her Instagram and I'm like, she's a trucker? Okay, nothing wrong with being a trucker. Like that is an awesome career, which you're going to learn. But I don't know any truckers and I don't know any young Um, smart, energetic, athletic, fit, healthy, beautiful, glowing truckers. So I was intrigued, just like you probably are right now. And I wasn't judging her. I was just, I'm, I'm a curious person. You know that. So I immediately reached out and I was like, Yuma, we must feature you. What the heck are you all about? Hence, I came across Yuma. There it is. That's how it started. And I've been following her ever since. And the reason that she's on today is she's done something amazing in the last six months that really has blown me away and reminded me of my beginnings in my entrepreneurial journey with Skirt Sports. She is starting a body butter company, a skincare company, basically, um, simply through following her heart and following her gut. She made a product that worked for her. People asked for it. She decided to make more of it, and it's just happening. And it is a beautiful thing to watch something like this unfold. So you're probably going to want to pause and check her out right now. So you're going to go to a-yummy-life.com. You are going to use the code LOVE for 15% off, and you're going to buy all the butters. I got eucalyptus and orange They are absolutely incredible. I feel nourished just putting them on. I want to eat the butter. It's it's just so clean and pure, and that is her goal. So, my friends, get ready for a good one. I'm sure you're back with me now, having ordered all the butter. Don't forget a-yummy-life.com. Use code LOVE for 15% off. All I want to do is celebrate this beautiful spirit, and I'm sure you will after you hear her story as well. All right, it is time. Let's bring Yuma Hydera on the show. Yuma, this is so cool. It's been um, a few years since we came together through skirt sports, actually, and I just, you've always been in the back of my mind. Like, I knew there's something about you that we need to share with the world, but it was when you launched yummy, yummy butter, a yummy life um, that I just, I realized this was the time. So thanks for joining me today. Cannot wait to share your story. It's, uh, I know it's going to be a good ride. You're laughing. Oh my God. You can't even hear her. She's just like, motioning. I like a silent no. laugh. It's the worst. No, like, this no, is no, a no, podcast. No. You cannot be silent. People aren't watching you. <laughs> I am honestly very excited that you <laughs> asked me to come on this podcast. Honestly, skirt sports is amazing. I'm a super tomboy at times. So it was nice to be able to run races and like look girly and keep doing so. I don't know. And it's flattering. I just always feel so cute. Like I hate that New Hampshire is cold that I can't wear my skirts, like the short ones, you know? 
I know. And you rock those short ones and you have like Tina Turner legs. Like there was a photo of you and I was like, holy cow, she's got legs that go for miles. Anyway, everybody's going to be following you on Instagram and everywhere that you exist um, after this podcast. But what is your handle? Just so so people know right off the bat, pause, get over there, follow Yuma. What is it? It's at Yuma Hydera. So at Y-U-M-A-H-A-I-D-A-R-A. All right, cool. We got business out in the beginning. Now we can dig in. So I was thinking about your story and there's a lot to it. You've, you've had a meandering path through life. And I just kind of feel like with you, I want to start at the beginning. I just, what, let's just do it. Let's just, let's just go from day one. Yeah. We're (laughs) just diving right in. We got to dive in. I mean, because in order to really understand where you are today, I think it's important to understand where you came from. So why don't you give us, you know, just give me a little background. Where, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? What kind of, you know, childhood did you have? Okay. So I was actually born in Virginia, Fairfax County. I am the only American born in my immediate family. I'm the baby. So the story behind that is my mom was arranged marriage to my biological dad. So she actually had to come over here to the States where he was and marry him. So I'm the baby. So long story short, I'm the only American. Where was your mom? What, what country was your mom from? Mali, West Africa. Oh, wow. Okay. So arranged marriage. So how young was she when she knew she was going to marry some guy that I'm assuming she'd never met? Well, she was, I'm going to say she was 19. The thing with this though, is that she was arranged married to him and had my older sister, but that wasn't like the love of her life. The love of her life was actually my brother's dad and she had broken the arranged marriage, but in doing so she got disowned from the family and she saw how bad it was. So she's had two kids by now. And then, so she wanted to fulfill the arrangement. So by this time he had moved to the state. So she followed him over. So oh my a, God. There yeah, is, that's there's it. a lot of drama there. <laughs> already, already started off with drama. Wow. <laughs> so she, she ended up being in an arranged marriage that maybe did she not like him at all, or it just wasn't her love. I don't think she was ever really fond of him. You know, she already knew my brother's father before the arranged marriage, but because of wealth and class, they want to keep the wealth like at the same level. And my brother's father's family wasn't at the same level as our family. So they were not about that marriage. Wow. Okay. So, so how many siblings you have two older siblings? I have two older siblings and an older half brother. That's like way older. Okay, this is getting too. I can't even follow it. Like it's too complicated for me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All the time, it's okay. (laughs) I mean, it's so interesting. So, how long? So, are your mom and your um, her arranged marriage husband? Wait, that's your biological dad. Yes. Are they still together? No. So this is the the beginning of the journey of my childhood. So. We lived in Virginia for a few years. Um, My father, my biological father, used to molest me when I was a child. So my mom left him and we moved to New York City. Mind you, she's new to the country, you know, can barely speak English. 
And we moved to New York City because that's you have more opportunities there and you can find more people like you there, like more African people. She can like have a community. But we were homeless for a while, you know, so she had to get back on her feet with three kids. So we lived in shelters. We did all that fun stuff. And then. So how old were you when when you were having like sexual trauma from your father? I was a toddler, so I'm going to say like from two to four years old. I mean, how could you even how did she know? My brother and sister actually would tell on like him and. They were telling her for a while, but like, she didn't believe it because like, why would you do that? You know what I mean? It's almost like, and she just sacrificed everything, moved across the ocean, you know, for this arranged marriage that she was disowned for the first time, you know? So I think for her, she just wanted to make it not be true. Yeah. Um, Do you, do you have a good relationship with your mom? Not really. Okay. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. maybe part of that starts with some resentment for her not protecting you when you were young. I don't know if that's, you know, on the surface or if that's buried deep, but. Yeah, it starts there and then it kind of continues the whole protection layer. Right. But. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. So do you remember any of that? It's weird because you do remember like little things. I don't know why, even as a grown up, like you get like these little pictures and I almost had to fact check sometimes. Like I knew this happened to me, but like even like two years ago, I asked my brother, I was like, is this true? You know, like maybe did I make it up? (laughs) You almost question yourself because it's, it's crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yes, it is true. And he like validates that I'm not making things up in my head, you know, but. Wow. You know, I do have to say that even though your mom wasn't strong enough or brave enough to confront it at first, she did eventually, she moved you guys out of that situation. But so then you end up in New York, you're four years old. How old were you at that time? Around four or five at this time. Yeah. And you were homeless. What? Yeah. So how did you guys get, were you literally sleeping like on the streets or in shelters? In shelters. I honestly don't remember. I do remember collecting cans, which might be a really weird thing. I remember one time we collected enough cans. We were able to go to the movies and I don't know why that is stuck in my head, but I don't remember actually sleeping in the shelters Well, my brother, he's older. So he remembers my older sister, but I personally don't remember that part. That's just like a story that I've been told. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, it's weird. Those snippets that are in our subconscious. And it's also interesting, like you're collecting cans, you know, theoretically so that you guys can eat or have money for somewhere to stay. But what you really probably needed was a movie, like an escape from reality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so where in New York were you and how long did you end up living there? So we were in New York city during like the homeless phase. I don't personally remember having an actual apartment in New York city, but we moved up to upstate New York to Cortland and we lived there. I went to like my elementary school there, just like kindergarten. And I think even pre-K went there. And then that was not a great experience because it's not diverse in Cortland. So 
a lot of the kids were not kind to me. <laughs> and I don't, this is another part of my story. I don't know. I just remember being told that like I used to get spit on, my hair would be pulled, like kids would call me all kinds of names. Like at that age, it's so crazy. So well, we can't, how, I'll go ahead. So how old are you? Like, was this in the 70s, 80s? Oh no, I'm 31. So this was like in the 90s, the 90s. Yeah. So like yeah. 94, 95. Yes. And oh my gosh. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> so then we moved to Ithaca, um, which is more diverse. And we went to school there. I believe I went uh, to second grade there. I think we only stayed there one year. And then we moved over to Hooksett, New Hampshire. And I've been in Hooksett ever since I graduated high school here. And then I joined the military and then I left. So in New Hampshire, this my story is just going to keep drowning on. <laughs> in New Hampshire, my mom and my stepdad who was also very abusive. So by this time, my older sister has already moved out because her and my mom had never got along. And so it's me and my brother, and she starts dating this guy who is 30 years her senior and does not want kids. And I'm like in the third, fourth grade. And he let it be known that he was not fond of us kids. Like he couldn't, it was weird like he loved my mom so much he dealt with us but it was like he hated us being around like we were a nuisance to him but also my mom was dealing with a lot of mental health issues so she never protected us from him and it was very in the nicest way I can say it it was not a good experience we had cops called her place a lot we just dealt with a lot of chaos because of him you know and her she was dealing with her own battles too so she had her own abusive moments you know and it just uh it was a lot growing up wow so it just feels like how could you be happy in that in any part of the story to date like do you feel like you were able to find that place within yourself that might bring you joy or were you just in a constant state of trying to protect yourself? I was definitely in survival mode. I, I branched out to friends and extracurricular activities, anything to keep me outside of the house. I want to sleep over this friend's house on this day, this friend's house on this day. I'm, I have sports every day of the week, like, you know, band, whatever. I was in every program I can get into. Um, and I feel like that was my way of just escaping. I probably, I honestly didn't have healthy ways of dealing with it. I didn't even know. Most of the people in my life didn't know. I was so good at like walking out of the door and leaving it behind. Um, it didn't start showing until about my sophomore, end of sophomore, junior year in high school. My grades just like plummeted. I was like a straight A student. My grades just like fell off the map. I was like on, what is it called? Parole. Uh, probation for sports. Yes. And it was bad. It was really bad. I and my guidance counselors got involved, my teachers got involved. And then that, at that point, I just moved out by myself. And then you moved out of the house when you were a sophomore. Yeah, like 16. Wow. Yeah. Like, wow. I was working. So I had bought my own car, I did all the things I needed to do to like be on my own and take care of myself, but it was just like a really weird space where 
you do all these great accomplishments, right? Like, oh, I have to be good at basketball. No, I have to be good at track and, you know, and get good grades. And it didn't matter. Like that love didn't show up for me. Like, you know, just wanting someone to be proud of you and congratulate you. It's just, it's heartbreaking because, you know, your, your mom was, it sounds like she was on the edge. Like maybe she was not able to connect with anyone during those years. Um, and when you say mental health issues, was she, it was a depression or something different? I, I feel like I don't know for sure. And this might be really crazy because I just went to the doctors here recently and they had my family history as her being bipolar and schizophrenic, which I had never heard of until I just went to this doctor's appointment. It was in my record. And it's the same doctor I went to as a kid. So I am assuming it's true. Like why else would they have that? Um, does that give me a lot of fear that it's like in my blood or something? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and it's, it's tough because here your mom at least, you know, made an effort to get you guys to a safe place, but then she found a partner that was not safe for you guys. And I mean, in third, fourth grade, I would feel like my mom chose a stranger over her own children. You know, I don't know. Did you feel that way? A hundred percent. Yeah. And it, it was like you were teamed up against, like you came in the house and the energy was so bad. You just like, you're walking up like on tiptoes, like God forbid you do something wrong or, you know what I mean? It was, it's like, they were just waiting for you to just like say the wrong thing or speak too loudly or not clean the dish good enough or whatever, you know, just to like have that moment to freak out at you. So it just wasn't good. No, it's, and you know, what's crazy is that many of these patterns repeat themselves, right? So I'm not sure what her childhood was like, and we all have an opportunity to stop the patterns as we go forward. And so that requires a lot of, you know, self growth, a lot of work on developing, you know, your own confidence and love for yourself. And it sounds like when you were a sophomore in high school, which is way too young to have to branch out on your own, that's what you needed to do to preserve anything that you had left. Yeah. So, so where did you go? Like, did you actually have a job and money and were you able to, you know, support yourself a little, or did you move in with friends? I actually moved in with friends. I had the most amazing, my friend's parents, they took me in as if I was their own. And they never, to this day, have never made me feel like I'm not part of their family. And I truly believe that's the only reason why I'm okay. Because <laughs> if I didn't have that outlet, who knows where I would be, you know? Yeah. I mean, did your did your mom and your stepdad and your brother who was still there, I think? did No, my no, brother was, was actually... He already had joined the military. He's five years older. So he was gone. So you were the last kid. Yeah. So did they um, support you at all? Or was it like, all right, fine. I'm wiping my hands clean of her. It was, it was weird. Even before the official like move out, 
I would stay at my friend's houses for stents, like three days at a time. And then my mom would come to the door screaming, yelling at my friend's houses for me to come back home. And my friend's parents used to stick up for me because they would know the situation that conspired for me to be at their house for three days. They would know that it was like not a good environment. And she would come yelling, screaming, like she has to come home. And there, it was weird. Like, why do you want me there? It was a very weird, like control thing. And it was, it scared me, you know, that feeling you get like, why do you want me to go home? You're already here yelling and screaming. When I get home by myself, not in public, it's going to be worse. You know? Yes. Oh my gosh. So I mean, I just, I feel like we need to close up your relationship with your mom. Like you ended up finishing high school living with a friend, but your mom was still sort of just kept doing that behavior or how did that transpire? So she actually moved to New York city with my stepdad. So they weren't even in the state anymore. Um, when I graduated high school, they didn't come. They were not there. My brother showed up. Um, and I guess I knew I was joining the military. So I kind of wiped my hands clean, but it's weird. Cause then I was at boot camp. And then it was like, oh, now my mom wants to be proud of me. So she's sending me all these letters and like wants to show up to my naval graduation and all this stuff. So you accept it because I'm still in a space where I want my mom's love. So I'm like, yes, finally, this is like who I've always wanted. And. But that's so heartbreaking, too. It's heartbreaking to hear because we all can understand it. Can I ask like the couple of years that you lived with your friend's family, mm-hmm. those are like super formative years in a young woman's life, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. Was that family, did they, is there anything you learned or took away from that family that made, made you who you are today? I think just knowing simply that I was cared about was probably the most important thing because there was, I was probably very depressed as a kid. I probably didn't know that's what it was, but I was in a very dark space. I could fall off the face of the earth and no one would miss me because my parents don't care, you know, and that's like almost how you think. And just knowing that I had like a home to go to and people like you walk in the door, you get a hug, like just knowing that you're wanted and cared for that alone, I truly believe helped shape me in ways I didn't even know. Cause then I always had that to fall back on. And it's such a simple thing and a simple, it's a simple act, you know, it's, it's, you're demonstrating literally by when someone walks in the door that you feel happy that they're there. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's all make sure that we do that to the people we care about not let them walk in the door and not even say anything, you know, barely look up, like greet people, show them you care. Right. Yeah. Yes. There's like a saying, it's like, I'm glad you exist. And I just love saying that to people I care about. Like they need to know that. Yes. I'm glad you exist. I love it. Wow. Okay. So you knew you were going to, did your grades come back up after you moved out? They were, I mean, I could never retrieve the GPA I had, but they were decent, you know. Were you able to get back into sports? Yep. And what sports did you do as a young kid? 
uh, basketball was like the sport. And then I did track to offset it, but I ended up being really good at it, even though it was like just to stay in shape. <laughs> um, so I loved it. I was a thrower and I just like, it was natural. I could throw things really far, I guess. <laughs> and I loved, I hated running though. It's so funny. Mm. That's a whole other story. My track coach to this day is like, I could barely get you to run like two laps around the track. And here you are like <laughs> running all the time. I know marathon. I know. Um, I mean, honestly, you are built like an athletic goddess. Like you just, you, you are so strong, but you have femininity and you just, you look like you were made to do to have athletic greatness and whether that came in the form of sport or maybe in the military, I don't know, but that's what I think when I see you, I just go, Whoa, I'm always like, wow, look at her. Like it just <laughs> makes me think strong power, beauty. It's really cool. Oh, thank you. That is incredible. Cause I don't, it's weird. We're our worst critiques. Right. So yeah. like even today I was like, well, I'm like, oh, I'm bloated and not, you know, Every little inch you're critiquing. So when you hear that, you're like, oh, people see me like that? That's nice. <laughs> yeah, legs for miles. Um, okay, so so when you, you decided, like, I'm going to do the military, and was that because your brother had gone before, so you knew that could be a path for you? I also was in JROTC in high school, so I loved the structure and the discipline. And... I really thought I was going to get to play basketball in the Navy. I, you know, the recruiters, they kind of tell you a story. The story didn't happen, but <laughs> my experience was great. And it was my way of getting on my own two feet and also being able to go to college. Because I knew if I went to college at that point, I would have been in so much debt. And I, who would I have had to help me with student loans? Who could I put on that paper? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I. I never felt comfortable enough, like going to any of my friends' parents and like, hey, want to co-sign my student loans? Like, you know, so it's just one of those things where I knew I needed to take it in my own hands. So the GI Bill was so great. You know, there. at that age, were you, did you have a lot of anger or had you already started to embrace, you know, your situation and learn from it? I don't think I had anger yet. I still think mm -hmm. I was still just surviving. I think the anger hit me in my later 20s, early 20s. Okay. Okay. So you enlisted in which branch? I was in the Navy. Yep. And what, what was your job there? Um, I was a builder. So I was part of the CB battalion and I did construction. So anything from framing, concrete, masonry, painting, like anything, building. That's so badass. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I feel like it's <laughs> such a great trait because like now I can do things like I bought a house and I can renovate my floors by myself. You know, it's time consuming. Don't recommend it, but <laughs> <laughs> totally, but you can do it. Yeah. You know what it is? It's empowering. Maybe these are the years that you got a little bit empowered. It is. So what was your overall experience in the military? Were you ever deployed? I was. I deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan with my battalion. My overall experience was incredible just for the simple fact of the people I met. They are like my family. 
the bond I have with these people, it is never going to change. I love all of them, like my brother and sisters. If someone called me up today, I would go to them if they needed me. It's just, it's honestly incredible. And so I, it was, this is where relationships really uh, became maybe an important part of your life, or you were able to see how deep relationships could really get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And know that even when people get stationed somewhere else, they're still there right? Through Facebook, they'll call you, yeah. they'll check in on you. And I was like, oh, this is new, you know? Yeah. Because your, your experience prior to that was that the important relationships in your life had let you down. You know, um, was it mostly men? Yes. Which is actually funny because I was groomed with guys. <laughs> it was just easier. I think being a tomboy, I just felt more comfortable. I had a female roommate. I just don't, it just wasn't, we're just not the same. Uh -uh. Guys are not that messy, which was shocking. I thought it was going to be the opposite. No. And they're all like my brothers. They all got married. I was at every single one of their weddings, you know, like they're all incredible. They all have little families. I just love it. So there was never any like hostility or like Yuma can't do the things we do or, you know, kind of boys club shutting you out. No, maybe, maybe like the first week you're there and you're, you're kind of feeling everyone out and everyone's like, who's this new person. But like, once you prove yourself and that you're willing to work hard, people respect that, you know, oh, and it's like a- you have to keep proving yourself. You're always around the same people. So yeah, I think that's a really good point. Once you prove yourself and you that you are willing to work hard, the respect comes. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see how that might be sort of a grounding principle for you in your life, you know. Um, so when you were deployed, were you know, were you in a situation at all where you guys saw any battle or there was, you know, trauma that you might come home with? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like we were in the fence. So a lot of the things that happened were like mortars coming in over the fence and drills, you know, and like working late hours. Whenever we went out, like outside of the fence, we did this concrete pour that was outside of the fence. So like that whole time you're in the dark, there's spotlights on you. You feel like a target. It's just like that fear, you know, and it's like a, maybe an anxiety that's constantly happening. But I feel like, this might sound weird. I'm sure there's like residual stuff, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be from my experience, but also maybe the life I lived already. I was still young. I was 18, 19. I think I was adaptable. Now, if you sent me in that same situation now, I'm sure I wouldn't handle it as well, <laughs> you know, kind of getting like stuck in my ways and like growing. But like when you don't know any better, you just kind of go with the flow and do what they tell you to do. And do it as safe as possible. Wow. Okay. So the military seems like one of the things that really did for you was to teach you how important relationships are and to help you build a sisterhood, brotherhood, you know, kind of a family that you didn't have before. Exactly. Yeah. This was your first real family. Wow. Wow. Okay. So how old were you when you came back or when you were done with your service? 
When I was done, I'm going to say I was 24 because that's when I started trucking. So, right, right. So you went to college then while you were in the military? Yeah. I okay. Was so how does that work? Is it like online? No, I actually physically went. I went reserves. So during that time I was reserves, I was going to school. So I went to nursing school and that was so difficult. <laughs> it tested me on so many levels. It was, I went to this private Christian college that had trimesters. So you had 10 weeks and you had everything was just jam packed in 10 weeks and you had to like do all your classes. And they told you when you started the program that you can't have a job, right? Cause most people that are going there, their parents are helping them. And here I am, I was working two jobs going through this course and I gained so much weight. I was so, I was pressed on bills. I was probably bringing myself right back to the darkest part of my life. And I took my last final. I went to this trucking school that I used to drive by every day and just walked in and said, what do I need to do to like get in a truck? And they're like, oh, you can come to class on Monday, three weeks. And wait, so wait, you had just done how many years of nursing school and you didn't, it didn't resonate with you? I, I was losing myself. And I don't know if it was actually nursing school or everything that was going on around it with me working so much and being tired and drained and gaining weight and just feeling, ugh, you know, but something was calling me to it. Well, and were you on your own then in your life? Were you living alone at that time? Yeah. 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 Those are, those years are tough in your early twenties and you're trying to figure out who you are and you think you need to pick a path that you're going to do the rest of your life, you know, and yeah. it's just, it's unfair and it's brutal. And a lot of times it works out and a lot of times it doesn't. So what would you say you took away from that whole experience of, uh, I mean, it, you know, it's interesting because nursing school is a freaking skill that is in high demand and you could probably pull that one out of the bag at some point and redo it if, if it called to you, but does it even call to you at all? No. Like not even a little bit. I mean, obviously, especially now with COVID, it's the last place I want to be. But being in a truck by myself, it's so peaceful. I did so much self-work. I honestly think trucking saved me. The amount of time I had with my thoughts by myself, I've never allowed myself to have that in my life. And it was uncomfortable because I'm dealing with everything. And you have to work through it and you have to be okay with sitting and feelings, which was something I didn't even know you were supposed to do. Well, no, I mean, most of us try not to feel our feelings, <laughs> like try not to analyze, you know, who we are. Um, so you became at age 24, you became mm -hmm. a trucker. Yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, this is now, I'm assuming, another primarily male-dominated profession. Yes. It's extremely male-dominated. <laughs> and you're this young, awesome, I mean, maybe you're at that point, you're still like, okay, now I got to change my life again. Like, I put on weight. I'm not feeling good about myself. But you're, you know, you're bringing a different energy to a group of people who probably didn't expect it. Yeah. It's 
Very interesting being a, well, I used to do cross country trucking when I first started. Okay. So, so can you explain, I just want to understand more about what it means to be a trucker. Cause that's what I thought they, every trucker did. You just uh, drive stuff all over the country, right? You're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't, I silent laugh. I get made fun of all the time about this. Just so you know. <laughs> I love it. Oh man. So cross country trucking is when you cross country, you do all 48. Okay. When you're regional, you might do Southeast, Northeast, Midwest. That's regional. And then local is you home every day. So those are all trucking jobs. It just depends on what company you're working for and what kind of program or schedule you're willing to work for your lifestyle. Okay. So literally it, it still blows my mind that this profession called to you. It just, I get it looking now that you've said like, I was looking for peace. I was looking for quiet. I get it with that. I mean, there's other jobs you could get with peace and quiet, but you know, being a trucker, it's a weird, like the perception people probably have of people who would call themselves truckers is probably not the healthiest, happiest, you know, um, most secure kind of personality. So why, why was that the place you walked in? What was it? You were driving by for a year or so and you kept seeing it and you're like, one day I'm going in there. Like why? I don't even know if I ever thought one day I'm going in there. I just took that test and knew that I didn't like what I was doing and I went in there. <laughs> I don't, I wish I could even say like, Oh, I gave it so much thought. It was literally like, let me just drive in and see what they say. Right. And if it's that simple, I need to go with it. And it was that simple. My GI bill covered it. I didn't have to do anything but show up on Monday. You know, it's kind of like fate. I mean, this is like those doors that open and close. You could have continued nursing. I mean, you could have taken your test and like, however you did, just pushed through and gone to the next and the next. But you just knew that day you were basically letting your car take you right to the yeah. place. And I can almost see it. It's like you just went on autopilot and you're like, oh my gosh, it's like a magnet. It's I'm getting pulled here. <laughs> this is it. And when you walk in and they're like, yep, three weeks of training, first of all, and yeah. start on Monday. I mean, you're just going, huh? Well, that door just went wide open. Let's explore it. Yeah. It's crazy to think if I didn't do that, where would I be right now? Because everything with trucking, especially, has worked in my favor without me even wanting it to, trying to. I know in this time of my life, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And I wish I trusted my gut earlier, especially with nursing, because I knew that level amount of stress. I know you're supposed to be stressed, but there's like your gut always tells you. Yeah. And it's just yeah. listening to it. Well, and you know, it's interesting too, especially as women, maybe men as well, but I can relate on the woman's side that when your body changes because you're going, you're under stress and you're not eating well and whatever, and you're gaining weight, you feel horrible. Like that plays with your mind too. Yeah, it really does. So you had been used to probably being a pretty fit woman, having come from being an athlete and then being in the military where they make you have a regimen. And, um, and then how, like, was this the first time in your life when you were like, oh my gosh, my body is not cooperating? Like, how did you handle that? 
You will not even believe it. So I was almost 300 pounds. Oh my gosh. Wow. I I was 293 pounds. And the problem is I am six feet tall. So it carries very well. I never had like a belly. I still had a flat stomach. It's weird, but I I never had a scale at home. And I went to go get my DOT physical and they weighed me. And I was like, like, how did I get this big? But like, obviously I know how I got that big. But why didn't my friends tell me I got this big? <laughs> no, because to them, they just saw me gradually getting bigger and it didn't look out of the norm because they saw me get bigger. You know, it wasn't like they hadn't seen me for a month and I show up and they're like, ooh, you know? Yeah. But then you pick a career that is notoriously known for the people who do it being sort of out of shape and overweight and not healthy. So how did you turn that around? Well, at first I did it. Maybe the first few months I was eating junk, but then I noticed you work, you're working a 14 hour day. You're driving 11 hours of that day. I was so sluggish and I would like be like drinking huge things of coffee all day, trying to stay up, talking on the phone constantly because I was poisoning my body really. And just like making myself feel lethargic all day. So finally I got on the keto trend, right? Which actually made me eat a lot more veggies. And I didn't do like a lot of meats and stuff, but I tried to stick more veggies and I really enjoyed how I felt. I got addicted to how I felt. And I realized I started, I needed carbs because I I didn't like how I felt not eating carbs. So I started eating carbs like quinoa and brown rice and I would make everything in my crock pot in the truck. And I started running and that's when I started running because I noticed I can control how much I eat so much, but I need to start moving again. So I just ended up buying some sneakers and I knew every day I was going to be at a truck stop. So run down the road and that's how running started for me. Oh my God. That's amazing. I can just see you with your little crock pot in your truck and you're like, I'm going to get healthy, even though this profession doesn't usually call for that. You know, most people don't. And uh, running up and down in the truck stops. That's crazy. So here's a little side story. I dated a guy in college who got in the news like he was in Sports Illustrated for creating this fitness program for truckers. What? Do you know that guy? No, I wish I did. So his name in college was Tony Blake, um, but he cha- he went to Africa and like reconnected with his roots and he changed his name. And I can't I don't know what it is. I can't remember. And it, it wasn't easy for me to pronounce. So we'll have to look it up and share that link because, uh, yeah, they're like, he's uh, he's revolutionizing the uh, trucking fitness world. I was like, trucking fitness. There is no such thing. But um, but it's really pretty cool because you know, it does just kind of go to show that you can work on yourself no matter what it is you choose to do for a career. You can find the time if you prioritize it. And you were prioritizing you was maybe for the first time in your life, you were prioritizing you. Exactly. Exactly. It felt amazing. Wow. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting when you get on these like different diets, you have this sort of honeymoon phase. That's what I think. You know, when I first um, started eating vegan a few years ago and, and I felt great for like a year 
But then I actually did hit a wall and uh, my iron just hit the floor, like lowest iron you could possibly have. And I think you you need to go through things and learn how to listen to your body to figure out the things that you need to adapt to modify into these different lifestyles that you're choosing to have. So I don't know. Did you go through the honeymoon phase and then evolve it? Yeah, I was going through the honeymoon phase. I was dropping weight. I loved what I looked like, and but I, I like plateaued. Like it wasn't working for me. And my cravings for carbs were like enormous, which is like almost, yeah. So I was like, just eat it. <laughs> you know, like, cause you tell yourself, Oh my God, if I eat this carb, I'm going to have to start all over, you know, with keto, it's so strict. And then I'm like, this is not how you're supposed to live. Like you are supposed to eat a balanced diet and that is okay. So, okay. What kind of carbs did you crave? Oh, of course. Like French fries and potato chips, any, like anything salty and crunchy and yeah, nothing, not the good carbs. Of course. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny because you, part of your life as a trucker is, uh, visiting gas stations frequently. And I will tell you that, um, in my early days of racing as a triathlete, we would do these long bike rides and we would stop at what we called the 25 cent rack. Because in the gas stations, the 25 cent rack was like the ho hos, the um, those those powdered sugar donuts, the yeah. uh, Swiss cake rolls, the oatmeal cream pie. Oh my god! Since All the little Debbie snacks. <laughs> totally. You know, gas stations do not have usually like a healthy and organic section. You know, you've got to hunt down a few things that might be healthy along the way. So I can see why, you know, in this, in this career that you chose, you really have to become more mindful. You've got a plan, right? Mm -hmm. I used to stop at Walmart because Walmart's allowed trucks to come in. So before I know it's like telling, but I used to stop there, get all my groceries for a week, a week and a half and just load up my fridge and just be, so I was ready, you know? Yeah. Well, right before we started the interview, I asked what you're doing. You said you're meal prepping. What are you prepping today? Well, I make soup because I like to be able to just like sip it while I'm going because I hate sitting. I feel like it's a waste of time to eat and sit. <laughs> so I make a broccoli soup with coconut milk and vegetable broth. Oh, it's so good. Oh my God. Can you share that recipe? We got to put it in the show notes. Oh, I want of course. It. Yeah. You want me to text you later? Yes. Okay, everyone. Now that you're salivating, I find like there's a point in a run or a workout when I just start talking about food. I, that must be true for podcast episodes too, because now I'm hungry. All right. So we're <laughs> going to share that, that recipe. What else are you working on? I, well, I'm going to chop up some veggies. I have some zucchini and squash and bell peppers. I like my food to be really colorful. So I chop it all up with purple onions. And then I usually get like a vegan meat of some sort and I put it in there and I put some oil, season it real good because I love flavor and throw it in the oven. But I put it in a huge foil pan and it lasts me like two weeks because I freeze it because I don't want to meal prep every week because I only have two days that I'm home. So I try and make it last a while. Yeah. And I think that's so cool. Um, all right. One last food suggestion. So you eat mostly vegan, right? Oh yeah. Well, I'm on the road. I try to, that is the plan. Yeah. So, you know, I call myself a Cheegan cause I'm like a cheating vegan. Cause sometimes I eat 
you know, a bakery item or some cheese on something or whatever. But um, there is a, a, a non-meat meat that I get called field roast. Have you ever gotten it? Yes. I love so, the apple one. Do you get, do you love it? The sausage? Yes. So good. That's what I put in my, my pan. <laughs> I was just envisioning it going in that pan of squash and sweet potatoes and onion. Oh my God. Okay. Whew. All right. That's out of the way. We don't even work for them, but you know, maybe we should, maybe they need to sponsor this episode. I'm reaching out to them. Um, okay. So, so here's the okay. thing. I mean, I think we're really getting a picture for, for you as you've grown and evolved and overcome. I mean, you did say that there was a point in your life where you got really angry. Was that during like the nursing school stint? And how did that anger? Yeah, I think that's when I started realizing. Uh, I think it's when I started realizing I was on my own. And it's, I know it's weird to say, but like I had my military friends that were like my family, but like on holidays, they would leave and go see their families. And, you know, and at, at the end of the day, it was always just me. You know, and anytime they had a real problem, they could just call like mom and be like, hey, can you help me with whatever? And And I just never had that. So I think as struggles started happening, especially with like financial and just like trying to get through school and you talk to your friends about what you're going through and hopefully they can give you advice, but like you don't have like that motherly advice and you just, it's almost like you're winging it and just hoping you make the right steps along the way. And I think that's when I really started getting angry. I was just like tired of it. Also when I started driving too, because I thought about it, which didn't help. So when you're on the road and you're sitting and finally feeling that peace, I mean, I'm also imagining there might've been a honeymoon there where you're like, okay, enough peace. Now I got to work on myself or like, do you listen? What do you do on the road with all of your quiet time? Well, I started with music. I had not heard of podcasts yet. So I used to just listen to music and then I would shut it off and audiobooks. That was like my first first things. Maybe like a year in, I started listening to like NPR, like, wait, wait, don't tell me or something. And the moth radio and those two, I was like, Oh, these are podcasts. You can like get an app and you can listen to all these different podcasts. And now that's all I do. Podcast. I've learned so much from podcasts. Like I really think I could win trivia because I know the most random facts. It's incredible <laughs> how much information is out there. I love you- that. You know, is there any specific book or podcast that you listen to that has really helped, you know, lift you out of those places of darkness and enlightened you? So one of my favorite books is Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. It is absolutely incredible. It is straight to the point, very blunt, may hurt your feelings, may trigger you, but I feel like it just makes you really look inside yourself and the excuses you're making about your life. So that's a really good book. And I also love The Alchemist. It's a very simple read, but I've read it a million times. And every time I read it, it just relates to my life in a different way with all its different life lessons. I'm obsessed with that. And for podcasts, obviously this one, (laughs) but I have so many podcast that I listen to. I love Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. She has incredible guests on there from like Deepak Chakra to Tom Brady, like, but everyone comes with their own wisdom and 
own life lessons. And I just love that. Um, I, so yes, awesome books, awesome podcasts, and there's a million other options out there too. But I think the, the really cool thing is that, you know, if you open your mind and your heart to wanting change, um, you can find it. And I will say, you mentioned something when you're talking about David Goggins book and you're like, it might trigger you. Why is being triggered important in the growth process? I feel like if you're not getting triggered, you're not really doing any self work. Yeah. Because, you know, you need to dig deep and you need to feel all that ugliness to really come out on the other side. You know, can we talk a little bit about your friend who was one of your mentors in the military? Um, you've posted about him and I, I think is his, what is his name? Jose. Jose. And that he took, took his life. Is that right? Yeah. And I can only imagine that when you have these deep connections with people who really care about you, you really care about, you expect them in, to be in your life forever forever. And you realize that at some point, you know, their, their darkness was too deep, right? So that's a trigger. That's a trigger for you because you were alone for much of your life. And then you finally found a group. And I think it could, you know, I'm sure that his death really shook you. Um, and I thought maybe this would be a good time to talk a little bit about that relationship and that experience and even the work that you do today to bring awareness to veteran suicide. Okay. So I met Jose right when I got to deployment, we were in the same battalion. He had been in the deployment, uh, in the battalion for a while. So he was established. People knew who he was. And it was funny because when I joined, I had actually joined as an E3, which means I was in JROTC, so I was already ranks above my peers, even though we joined at the same time. And I got to take a test within my first six months uh, to make E4, which is a petty officer. So then you get that basically gives you responsibility to be in charge of things. So on my first deployment, I came in new to battalion, almost at the same rank as people that had been in for like two or three years. And he was one of those people and he was not a fan <laughs> um, because of my lack of experience, which is rightfully so. I had not been on deployment. Um, my construction skills were not there yet. So to be in charge of other people when my skills weren't there was, I can understand why that was an issue, but I worked my butt off and he made sure I worked my butt off, even though I hated him sometimes because he gave me so much crap, <laughs> but I became better because of it. And we grew into a great friendship. We spent a lot of our off time together. Even after I'd gotten off uh, active duty, we, I'd go to Miami. He got stationed in Miami and visit. And we ended up going on a backpacking trip two years ago for like five weeks in South America. He's just like one of those people, like you might talk to once a month and you catch up for hours and then you go about your day but he was one of those really close people that you could talk about anything with just like a really beautiful soul. 
he affected so many people. He was always laughing and always telling jokes and just everybody wanted to be around him. And it's, it's tough because he had this dark period. One of the times uh, when I left Miami one time and you know, you talk through it and you just make sure they're okay. And you just be annoying with text and hopefully they reply and, and he got through it, you know, and you just think it's gone. You don't think it's coming back. And I had talked to him probably two weeks before he took his life. And it, it was like planning things. <laughs> and it's like, what are we going to do next? And we wanted to go see the solar eclipse in Chile and all this fun stuff. Obviously, COVID, you know, ruined that for us. But it's just, you never know what people are dealing with. And I almost feel guilty because, like, why didn't I just ask him how he was doing mentally? It's like, I don't know. It's just one of the things I go back and forth with. Like, maybe I should have called more. Maybe you should check in more. Well, and I, I think that's a natural response, you know, when when you're looking back. But mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a, a realistic daily thought to just say, Hey, how was your mental state? You know, like I understand though I do. And part of that is just that you cared so much. So, you know, I've seen that you have posted a bit, a hashtag, which is 22 a day. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that if you want to help raise some awareness now. Yes. So 22 a day is the average number of veterans that take their lives every day. And that's shocking. That is shocking. It's ridiculous. It's, it actually is angering. It makes you angry. Why isn't it being handled? This has been a hashtag for years. This isn't a new average number. This has been going on steadily. And it's how do we as a country support our veterans after they get out of the service. And I think that has a lot to do with it. A lot of people are there in the service. They have a family, they get married and they get out and they learn that their job is not equivalent here in the civilian world. And they have to start at zero making 10, $12 an hour trying to support this family that they have. How is that possible? What are we doing to make the transition easier? Why are we not, why are they not receiving pay that, can support their families? Why is there not access to better education? And, you know, there's just so many things that could just be helping. And why is there a stigma about talking about it? Why is mental health like, oh, you're not strong if you don't, if you talk about your mental health, but the strength is in talking about it and being vulnerable and talking about your feelings and working through it. Like you're not alone. You don't have to go through it alone. And just knowing people are loved and cared about and you can get through this, you know, the darkness fades. It doesn't stay. No. And, and if, if you're really struggling and you can't get through it through from your friends and your family helping and reaching out, you know, we do need to provide more resources and make it, like you said, decrease the stigma around the discussion. Yeah. Well, um, it makes me proud to see you support the cause and and to be a very bright light working hard to help others because you've been there, 
and you've watched people you care about perish because they didn't have the support they needed, you know, and, and so I feel like this is just a part of your growth as a person. And it actually, you know, every single chapter of your life leads up to where you are today. And you're going to have 50 more chapters after today. But what's really cool is that there's one word that I think about when I think of you, and it's love. I want to read this this quote from when we featured you at Skirt Sports uh, sometime last year. I asked you, what's your philosophy on life? I mean, seriously, that is not an easy question, okay? (laughs) And this is what you told me. You said, I think I used to be afraid of my own thoughts and actually having time to deal with them. I used to keep myself so busy that I didn't even have a second to think about myself. But I really learned to love myself, and I think it's helped me grow as a person to be able to enjoy my alone time. I really believe in love, that love heals all things, and that we wouldn't have as many problems in this world if we approached situations with love. And I also believe in pushing yourself away from negativity, not allowing it to consume you or affect you or stunt your growth. So that is you. Can you believe you said that? I honestly, it's so crazy to even think that because I'm still growing. I will always be growing. And just to know that I was at that level, well, that was like almost a year, two years ago. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it's true. And, but you know, what's cool is that love is anchoring all of your actions going forward. And what I really wanted to talk a little bit about here is your latest venture, which I believe is so founded in love. And it starts with love for yourself and love for your body, but it's just extending out. Let's talk a little bit about yummy. (laughs) All right. Well, I have the most sensitive skin. I cannot wear fake jewelry. I can't wear like the Garmin watches, like unless I wear it for a run and I have to take it right off, I break out doing anything. So I've always made my own body butter. I am very particular about what I put on my body. Even with my hair, I only use organic natural products that I usually end up making myself. So for years I've made this to nourish my skin and I give it to my family and some friends will come over, they'll see the jar, they'll start using it and wonder, ask me what it is. And they've been begging me for years to just like make enough to sell it. So in October, I started selling it and people love it as much as I do. And it's incredible just to know that it's helping other people heal their skin conditions and even just soothe dry skin or just make your skin feel good. And I I'm obsessed with it personally, so I feel like it's easy to sell. (laughs) But I think when people get to try it for themselves and see how good it is and how nice it is to have a product that has no chemicals in it and you know everything that's in this product, I think that's great. I think I just wish everyone cared more about what they're putting in their pores because it really does affect you. So do you realize that you're an entrepreneur now? Yeah, I feel like it's the most accidental entrepreneurship I ever imagined. I never knew it would blow up. I then had to make a website. I then had to start tracking payments and shipping. And no idea this would 
blow up from me just like posting a couple jars on Facebook one day and being like, hey, I made extra jars this year. Did anyone want some? And then I had to back orders. And then I was like, I guess I should keep going. <laughs> so here we are. Oh my gosh. And it's so funny because I remember like all of a sudden there was a post of like, you know, I've been using this and you guys say you want it. Do you really want it? And then it was like 900 likes. It was like, <laughs> boom. And I was, and I was watching this, I was watching your path and it was fast. Like within a month it was, Hey, do you guys think you want some of this? And then it was like, Hey, I got some jars. And then it was like, Oh my gosh, I'm selling this. Are you in stores even at this point? I am in yeah, I'm in um, a couple salons and a consignment store here, which it's doing really well in. Which Word is, mouth is incredible. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. And then here you go. You're like, okay, the product, what you learn is that, yeah, the product part is really important, but now you got to learn every other part of this business. You probably had to learn packaging and labeling and you probably, I don't know, are you even doing like, do you have to work with the FDA? So I don't as long as the ingredients are on the product or like I give everyone like a little card with their order with all the ingredients and their benefits of the ingredients, because I honestly designed this label online one night. Like when I say everything happened so fast, I kind of just like almost Jimmy rigged everything and it, it's working out. <laughs> but uh, I actually Googled that recently because I was like, I wonder if they have to like come inspect my kitchen. But as long as the jars are cleaned out, you know, and nothing is hazardous for uh, topical creams. They're very lenient, shockingly. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. Well, at least you're not eating it, although you probably could. You could. It is all <laughs> natural. I don't know. I mean, it would really line your gut and you might be on the foot a little bit. But <laughs> you have a very smooth stomach lining. Um <laughs> So, so the product right now is a range of body butters and the company is called what? Yummy. Well, the company is called a yummy life and it, the product is called yummy body butter. Man, you have the perfect name to make an iconic brand out of. You I, know what? If your mom did nothing else right, she named you well. A yummy life. How amazing. And we all want some of you right now. So we'll take it in the form of your products. <laughs> so you've got five scents, right? I'm going to see if I can get these right. You have five different scents that are infused into your body butters. You have no scent, mm -hmm. um, eucalyptus, lavender, orange, and peppermint. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Um, and so what's your best seller? It goes back and forth between unscented lavender, peppermint, eucalyptus, <laughs> eucalyptus and orange. I wish I could be like, this one is, but I actually keep track of it. And one week it'll be lavender. So I'll like make more lavender. And then the next week it's like peppermint. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's like, I can never stay ahead. <laughs> I'll be honest. One thing that I learned in business is that you are never right. So get used to it. Um, um, your goal is to get close to being right but you'll never yeah. be right. And, uh, you'll never get it perfect. So you're doing amazing. You're getting a company off the ground. Um, I actually am gravitating to orange because orange is a happy scent. It makes you happy. At least that's what a yoga instructor told me one time when she put like orange <laughs> essence, essence on after, uh, after class. Yeah. 
Yeah. Very cool. So do you have other products that you're dreaming of that are in the pipeline? So, so funny as like, I'm actually launching new things today. Um, I made a nut free uh, body butter, which is mango butter, grapeseed oil and rosehip oil for my friends that have nut allergies that have been begging me, but I've been too busy to actually come up with a recipe. So now I have that. And then I also have a chapstick that is called yummy lips. <laughs> that is incredible. I'm obsessed with it and not to be biased. I know it's my own product, but it's so good. Like I have to apply it barely throughout the day. It's lasted me weeks already. So I'm happy to put labels on it and start selling it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Are we doing a deal for people? Like what are we doing here? We we're sending people to your website, a-yummy-life.com. It's going to be in the show notes. Check it out there. Um, are you, what, what do you want to tell them about the product? Well, if they order products within, I will give them a week. They can use code love and it'll give them 15% off. All right, great. So one week after this podcast launches, you can use your code love. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love you. You are so amazing. I just love to watch your your journey unfold. This is, you're making the world a better place. I want to say something to you right now. I'm glad you exist. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really <laughs> glad you exist and I'm so glad you see me, which is incredible. It's just an incredible feeling to know that. Oh my gosh. You know what? Everybody sees you. You are hard to miss. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will say that, um, I can't wait to watch you grow this empire. You let me know how you want me to be a part of it. I will help you. I'm here for you. Um, and also before I forget, because I've actually done this recently because I'm all over the place in my life, I've actually forgotten to ask the final question that I ask every guest who comes on the show. So are we ready to wrap it? Already? Can you believe it? I mean, we've been talking for at least an hour, maybe more. I don't know. I could do another hour with you. Um, all right. So here goes. If you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? As cliche as it sounds, it's honestly to just love. Like, I know that sounds so cliche, but when you love yourself, love will find you in all different aspects of your life once you focus that on yourself. And it becomes so much easier to love others and show empathy and compassion to others because you're full within yourself. That'll do it. It's a perfect way to end this episode and this awesome conversation. Love yourself and love will find you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you must so good to talk to you today. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to go slather on another layer of my orange body butter. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. All right. How do you feel? Are you feeling the love? I'm definitely feeling the love. I have one thing to say to you today. I am glad you exist. What a beautiful sentiment from a beautiful person. I'm not talking about me. Well, yeah, I am. I'm talking about me too. We're all beautiful people. I'm so grateful for Yuma. I'm sure you are too. Don't forget to get over to her website and use the code love for 15% off. 
Side note, I tried to get Field Roast, that vegan sausage company, to sponsor the episode and they blew me off. Send them a note. Go to fieldroast.com. Tell them you need to sponsor Nicole DeBoom's podcast. You guys, I still don't know what the heck I'm doing in my life, but at some point I got to get some cash coming in. So let's get Field Roast on the hook because not only do they need to come over and sponsor this podcast, you guys need to try their products because they're truly amazing. And that's what this whole podcast, my whole mission in life is to help bring you better, bigger, more positive things into your own worlds. I know you know that about me and I think we nailed it today with today's conversation with Yuma. She is uh, the epitome of putting beauty, love, and positivity out there into the world. All right, everybody, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.